Welcome to the podcast for Wenton Baptist Church. I pray God uses this message to bless you in Jesus' name. Well, have you ever expected something great, but only to be let down by that it actually wasn't what you thought? There's this expectation of something that was going to come, and it was you were just let down that, oh, okay, it wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. Now, in the past, we've encountered all sorts of things like that. And I'll give you an example of one of the things that kind of stands out in my mind of something that was we expected to be good, but it wasn't. Maybe some of you remember this, and I'll bring it up on the screen. Uh, and, and, and that is, drum roll, there we go, the new Coke. Okay, the new Coke, this is back in the 80s. How many of you remember the new Coke? Anybody? Okay, yeah, the new Coke. Uh, we were, you know, inundated with this idea that Coke was going to be better. Some of you that are a little younger, you don't remember this, so it's okay. Uh, you're, you're be glad that you don't remember this. Uh, but the new Coke back in the '80s. I'm a child of the '80s. Back in the '80s, the new Coke uh, was brought onto the scene. Why? Because Pepsi was gaining in market share, and Pepsi was kind of nipping at the heels of Coke, and so Coke was kind of scared, and they were decided that they were going to change the formula of Coca-Cola. They were changing the formula of this, this beverage that had been around for almost 100 years. So they decided to change the formula of Coca-Cola. And so that's what they did. They changed the formula. They had this marketing campaign. The new Coke was coming. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. It's going to be sweeter. You're going to love it. And so what happened was they didn't realize this, but the public revolted. The public revolted. Maybe you remember the, the, the picture of the guy pouring a, 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 a Coke bottle down the drain, the new Coke down the drain. We don't like this. There was a guy who actually invested $100,000 to start an organization to protest the new Coke. They just didn't like it. Uh, and the new Coke wasn't what people expected. They wanted the original version. They wanted the old Coke back. So what we now have today, what we had for a little while, was classic Coke. Maybe you're wondering, why is this called classic? Now you know why it's called, it was called classic Coke. Now I think they just simply removed the, the name from that. They wanted the original version. And in our text this morning, we're looking at the book of Isaiah, and a similar attitude played out when we see the suffering servant in Isaiah. There were people who expected Isaiah... Uh, this, as he was prophesying, this deliverer to come on the scene to deliver the nation of Israel, they were expecting something great. They were expecting a conqueror. They were expecting someone to deliver them politically. But all of a sudden, uh, God's original plan of sending a humble, lowly servant to save the world just wouldn't do. It just wouldn't do. People were stunned. How could God's deliverer be like this? Now, looking back from the cross, you and I see, okay, we know now how this came about. We see it. We have the advantage of looking back from the cross. And we know, you and I both know now, that it's the only way. It was the only way. So the question is this, why did Jesus, the Son of God, have to die on a cruel cross? Couldn't there be an easier way? Well, Jesus himself declared in John 14, 6, he said this, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We've got the scripture there on the screen, I believe. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, we also see in Mark 10, 45, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for me. Jesus came to serve. That was his purpose. And now we've seen in the past few Sundays the truth played out 
in the, this fourth song of what we call this, the, the servant song, Isaiah prophesied four servant songs. And we're looking at chapter 53, if you've got your Bibles there, you can turn to chapter 53 and follow along. This is the fourth servant song. Now this was prophesied from Isaiah 700 years before the time of Christ. You can't bring to me any book or any prophecy that's done that and fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, this was spoken about through the prophet of Isaiah. And we also remember that we talked about the suffering servant being exalted by God, yet humiliated uh, on the cross. He, he suffered intense suffering that he did not deserve. He didn't deserve it. Why? Uh, you know, what's, what's the deal there? Why did he have to suffer that? Uh, he suffered that way. Well, he, he, he came to save his very own, but they rejected him. They rejected Jesus, and many of us have rejected Jesus in, in, a, in a lot of ways. We, we don't see the importance of the cross. And last week we saw the why that Jesus had to suffer. Well, why did Jesus have to suffer? Well, he suffered because of our sin. Uh, it wasn't his sin. Jesus was a, 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 he was a sinless uh, God-man, 100% God, 100% man. He suffered for our sin. So if we were the reason that he suffered, what did it accomplish? What did that accomplish? What was on the mind of Jesus as he hung on the cross? Was it the excruciating pain that he was going through? And did you know that word excruciating? In the middle of that word is crucis. Um, that's where we get our, our, our cross from, excruciating. What was on the mind of Jesus? More than just a, a passing thought we might have, or you know, like Willie Nelson saying, you are always on my mind. I won't use the twang there. But there was much more on the mind of Jesus than just us. There was. Much more on the mind of Jesus than just us. Our text this morning gives us three things that were on the mind of Jesus. First, the silence of Jesus had our salvation in mind. Did you know that Jesus was silent? The silence of Jesus had our salvation in mind. Secondly, the death of Jesus had our punishment in mind. And thirdly, the life of Jesus had our holiness in mind. So firstly, the silence of Jesus had our salvation in mind. The key word there is submission. And we, we're, we're talking about the submission of God the Son to the will of the Father. Look at Isaiah 53, verse 7. We're looking at the, the, one of the stanzas here. It's got three verses in it, and they get longer and longer as you go along. Verse 7 says this. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. 700 years before Jesus was brought before Pontius Pilate, before Herod, before Caiaphas, Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would be silent. That's just an amazing, if you can wrap your head around that, what do you see here is a prophecy that is miraculous, and what, how do we respond to the miraculous? How do we respond to the, prop, the prophetic in the Word of God? We respond with humility and faith, and we re respond with an idea that says this is the Word of God. It is true from cover to cover. Therefore, we must obey it. We must not put it on the shelf. We must use the Word of God and understand it as a revelation for us to apply to our lives. It is God's roadmap for us to get to heaven. But we see here that he was silent. He was silent. Twice in this verse, Isaiah states uh, in verse 7 that he did not open his mouth. First part and the second part. 
Now, have you ever been wrongly accused of something? Have you ever been wrongly accused of something you didn't do? Uh, I'm curious, what, would, what was your response? If you were wrongly accused of something, what was your response? Hopefully all of you would stop at nothing to prove your innocence. I, I'm innocent. I didn't do that. You know, you, you, you make a defense, and I, I didn't do that. Well, uh, you know, our justice system is a great justice system, but sometimes uh, the innocent get, get accused wrongly. And there's actually organizations and groups that try to uh, write that process and try to get those who have been accused wrongly uh, onto a better path and, 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 rec- and exonerated. And, and, and so we have, we have the story uh, of a man that was named Richard Phillips. Richard Phillips sent, spent 46 years behind bars for a murder he did not commit. Trial after trial, lawyer after lawyer, judge after judge, no one believed Richard Phillips. He wasted away in prison. But he was innocent and kept making his voice heard. And we got a picture here. On March 28, 2018, Richard Phillips was a free man. You see, the right people heard at the right time, and this is how the innocent should act. The hope should drive that person to seek justice. It should drive him until every breath in his lungs are expired. I didn't do it. Nothing else should be able to keep them from telling the world of their innocence. We love stories like this, where the innocent are freed. Jesus was innocent of the charges against him. He did not say a word. He didn't say a word. Look at here at the people he just he came before. Three instances here in Scripture here. I'll read these to you. First, we have it in Matthew 26, 62-63. The high priest here, this is Caiaphas. The high priest stood up and said to him, Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, the next verse, verse we see Jesus uh, telling the high priest, you know, you have said it, and he's fulfilling. He, then Jesus goes on to quote Daniel and Psalm 110, but he was silent. He was silent. Then he goes before Pilate, and Pilate says to him, don't you hear how they are testifying against you? But he didn't answer him on even one charge so that the governor was quite amazed. Why would Pilate be amazed? Why would he be amazed that this man, Jesus, was silent? Because he was, he was innocent. Pilate knew that he was, he, he was innocent. He, Pilate knew he wasn't guilty. That's why he was amazed that Jesus wasn't speaking up. And also, we, we, we see Jesus, that same story, account in Mark and Luke. And finally, we see, and he goes before Herod, finding that he was under Herod's jurisdiction, Luke 23, verses 7 through 9. He sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem during those days. Herod was very glad to see Jesus for a a long time. He had wanted to see him, and he had heard about him, and was hoping to see some miracle performed by him. So he kept asking him questions, but Jesus did not answer. Why was Jesus silent? Jesus had our salvation in mind. Did you hear that? He had our salvation in mind. He was silent because he submitted to the Father's will. He was silent because he knew what awaited him and those who believed in him. Jesus wanted us to be with him forever. That's why he was silent. Jesus wanted a better future for us sinners. Jesus wanted us to not experience sin's effects. Jesus wanted us not to experience hell. He wanted us to be with him. 
Jesus wanted to free us from the curse of sin and death. He wanted us to be able to have the power to live our lives that glorified God. You can't do that without the power of God. None of this could happen if he spoke and he protested of his innocence. It couldn't happen. So he submitted his innocence for our salvation. He took upon our sin, yet he himself was pure. He took upon our condemnation, yet he himself was free. He kept silent because he loved us. Say that word, church, loved. He loved us so much. He didn't utter a word because of the amazing love he had for us. Yes, he was innocent, yet he willingly stayed silent. Why? For you and I. Verse 7 also gives us a fitting image of the Savior, a sheep going to the shearer. Now, when a sheep goes to the shearer, it doesn't protest. It's submitting to the leading of the master. Jesus submitting to the will of the Father like a lamb before the slaughter. Here Isaiah had in mind the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. Now, a family would keep the lamb for about four days and, and then slaughter it. And they, like this you see here. And they were well aware of the sacrifice of this beautiful, innocent lamb. It was for their sin. And so they understood that. What we often overlook in the sacrificial system is that God instituted this for the people of Israel to receive the forgiveness of sins. God provided this way. God also said that it was the blood of the lamb, the innocent, pure lamb, that was represented its innocent life. The blood represented the innocent, pure life given for the one who sinned and was offering it to God in their place. The life was in the blood. That's why we talk about blood and sacrifice. Well, the life's in the blood. Okay, the life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. I'll say it again. The life is in the blood. That's right. The life is in the blood. Leviticus is where it comes from. Leviticus 17, 11 through 12. For, this life, for the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have appointed it to you to make atonement on the altar for your lives, since it is the lifeblood that makes atonement. That's replacement of sin, forgiveness of sin. Um, the lamb on your, on your behalf, where you should have been on that altar and died, the lamb died for you and took the punishment that you deserve. Therefore, I say to the Israelites, none of you, no alien who resides among you may eat blood. And that's why they didn't eat blood at that time. But now we can. Because uh, Peter declared all things, we can eat, eat all things, but, uh, we can do that. But because the lamb was an, just an animal, watch this. Because it was an animal, it could never fully relate to men and what they went through. It was just an animal. It didn't have a soul. Okay, Animals don't have souls. Okay, They don't have the ability to reason. Okay, God gives them to us as gifts, as pets. And we treat them many times like family. I believe animals are going to be in heaven. I believe our pets are going to be in heaven. Because the, the, God gives us good, good gifts. And that's part of that. We see animals and creatures in heaven as well. We don't know their entire role. But for this purpose, the lamb was just an animal. It could never fully relate to man. could never fully, really fully substitute completely for the sin of man. It was a foreshadowing of what was to come. What was needed was a man. Jesus knew he was this man. He was the lamb of God. He was the God man. He was the lamb of God. Watch what happens. Fast forward to the end here. The book of Revelation chapter 5 verse 12. It says this. In heaven, the vision here says, they, with a loud, they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. The Lamb of God. His silence made hope available to everyone. But we know that His silence meant His death. The death of Jesus had our punishment in mind. The key word there is substitution. 
Look at verse 8 of Isaiah chapter 53. It says this. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. And here we have the, for the first time that this suffering servant, the result of the suffering that the servant goes through, leads to death. Isaiah asks the question, who really thought that it would come to this? Who thought that it would come to this? And we see at the end of the verse that such a death was indeed punishment for our rebellion. We did it. This is the connection of our sinful choices to the death of Jesus. Okay, he didn't deserve it. Our sinful choices put him on the cross. Here we have the death of Jesus, again, foretold by Isaiah 700 years before it happened, church. Here's the fulfillment of the only one who could take our place. As Hebrews 10.4 states this, looking back from the cross, Hebrews says this, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. If the life of blood and goats and bulls can't take away sins, couldn't provide a permanent solution for you and I, we would surmise that a human would have to take our place. Not only take our place, but take our punishment that we deserve. We're all familiar uh, of the costs associated with what we might label as uh, having too much fun. We like to put a, a nice label on it, do, you know, doing the things we shouldn't do to ease the sting of what we, what we do and have fun. And you know, There's a negative side to, to getting the things we want. We have phrases like, if you want to dance, you've got to pay the fiddler. Uh, or if you, you, you make the bed, you... Okay, you make the bed, you lie in. Uh, if you play with fire, you'll... You'll get burnt, okay? Humanity has always thought that sin is pleasing. Let me just say this. If sin weren't enjoyable, we wouldn't do it, okay? We wouldn't. If sin weren't enjoyable, we wouldn't do it, right? It just may, it may, it's just our nature. We don't like pain. C.S. Lewis said this about the relationship of pain and pleasure, doing good and evil. Hopefully, I'll read this to you. It says this. He says this. Both good and evil when they are full-grown, become retrospective. That is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporary suffering, no future bliss could make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. And of some sinful pleasure, they say, let me but have this and I'll take the consequences, little dreaming how damnation will spread back and back into their past and contaminate the pleasure of sin. If we dance, we have to pay the fiddler. If we seek that which pleases us and displeases God, there is a high price to pay. We've all sought this. That's why Jesus came, because we couldn't do anything about it. Scripture has a clear way of cutting to the chase. Very clear. The Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. If you let sin run its course without any remedy in your life, then ultimately you will be without the life that is available to you in Jesus Christ, because of Jesus. But Romans 6.23 doesn't end there. We see that there is a gift available to you and I, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is, as it's on the screen there, the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus took the punishment for sin out of the equation when he took our sin upon himself. Jesus thought of you and I when he took our punishment that we deserve. That was a gift above every gift. He substituted himself for us. When a gift involves sacrifice, it makes it more valuable, does it not? 
uh, a gift you receive. Maybe someone uh, takes time to make the gift. Like, like cards, I've, I've got a stack of cards here that uh, my mother-in-law, she just loves to do these little cards here. Makes them and, and just lo- spends lots of time on each card that, that she, gets, she, she gives to our family. And so she spends so much time on these, and I, I value these cards, and Allison does too, and she's, she just keeps them because they're so special to us. They, they spent all this time making this card. Now I receive all kinds of cards, and I, I do keep the cards as well. But she spent all this time making these wonderful cards, and I appreciate that. Maybe you've received a blanket or a quilt that someone has handmade. You know this, that someone sacrificed time. For what? For you, because they love you. You recognize that it has a greater value because of the sacrifice made. Follow me? For you and I, the value of the, is, is in the sacrifice made on the cross. Jesus Christ, who was sinless, chose to receive the punishment that we deserved. It's like he hand-wrote this love letter in his own blood and said, I love you so much. Here's a handmade gift to you. I sacrifice my life for you. That's the sacrifice that Jesus has given us. His death was in the punishment of God for our sin. His death ended death for all those who follow Jesus. Notice I said, I did not say believe. There's a huge difference. James says, even the demons believe in God and they tremble. If you just believe in God and you don't follow Jesus, you're on a path to hell. I say that as with as great of compassion and concern as I can say. You must understand that a disciple follows Jesus, obeys his word, listens to his commands. A true disciple is one who follows. You know, that's a gift. That's a gift that we can follow Jesus like that. That's like Jesus taking it upon himself. What a sacrifice it is. He's given it to us. What a substitution. So he willingly became silent for us. He loved us and he knew what we could have if he submitted to the Father's will. I'm going to keep silent for Derek because I know what Derek could have. I'm, going to keep, I'm not going to say a word because I love Derek so much and I want him to be with me. I'm going to keep my lips shut. And he says the same thing for you. He kept silent. He did not protest. And also he understood he wanted to go through uh, the punishment that we deserve. But why? Because he loved us. It was incredible pain. He took the wrath of God that we deserve. That pain on the cross, he didn't deserve that. I did. You did. He wanted us to live also our best life now. The life Jesus had, our need for holiness in mind. The key word there is sanctification. Verse 9. It says, He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and not spoken deceitfully. Here, friends, is another prophecy that's fulfilled in the New Testament by uh, a, a, a man in the Sanhedrin by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. Luke 23, verse 50 says this and following. It says this. There was a good and righteous man named Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin, who had not agreed with their plan and action. See, he was a secret disciple of Jesus. Uh, he was from Arimathea, a Judean town, and was looking forward to the kingdom of God. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. You see, it was against Mosaic law to leave the body of a criminal unburied uh, after dark. So some, some commentators say that there is a, a possibility that Jesus would have been buried with the criminals and, and, and had someone of, of, of not means, so, had not someone who had had access to Pilate not gone to him, he would have done so. But Joseph of Arimathea intervened, and that's exactly what we see. 
We know that uh, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was probably wealthy because he had carved out his own tomb. He had an, it says it was a new tomb that he had carved for himself, but yet he gave it to the Son of God. He was ultimately not buried with the wicked. Why? Because the, the, the intervention, Jesus was also a righteous man. He didn't deserve this. He was, he was righteous. There was no, it says there was no deceit found in his lips. The scripture also says there in verse 9 that he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life for you and I. A perfect life. Imagine growing up, you know, as a teenager, he didn't protest getting up. Oh, it's too, too, too early. I don't want to get up now. He didn't protest doing his chores. None of that. He, as an adult, he never shunned people. He never pushed people away. He always received people. He wanted to heal them, and he was concerned about their hurt. He wanted to heal their hurt. He didn't desire to push them away. Whereas you and I might respond differently. With such an obedient life, he obeyed, obeyed, obeyed. We hear about this. What's the point of Jesus' obedient life? Here's the point. A righteous life allowed Jesus to do several things. To sacrifice himself as the sinless lamb of God so that, number one, he could die for us. He could die for humanity. If Jesus was not perfect, then the sacrifice would not be accepted by God. So he had to be sinless. He had to be perfect. He also, secondly, he could, he could rise again. Jesus' death paved the way for the power of God to shine through the glory of the resurrection. We're approaching Easter. We know what happens. And, and, and next, the Holy Spirit could, could come and empower believers to give, live lives of faithfulness. Jesus said, if I, if I don't go away, the, the, the counselor can't come and empower you. We have the presence of Jesus in our lives and dwelling every believer to overcome sin, to overcome addiction, to overcome the problems of sin. I'm not saying that it's... It is absolutely possible for you to overcome sin because of the power of Jesus. Yes, we have the residual effects of sin, but the Holy Spirit gives us power to do that and to live lives of holiness and to not sin. God wants you to do that. He wants you to be holy and faithful. But also, this allows us to be able to have a righteous life. His righteous life count for our sinful life. You know, you see the bumper sticker, I'm, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. That doesn't give us an excuse to not try to seek out holiness. But Jesus has understood that we are broken people. We said last week that broken people do broken things. We hurt each other. Sometimes we hurt people the most, the people we love the most. Jesus knows our brokenness. He knows that we are, it says, I am mindful that we are but dust. Jesus lived an incredible life for us. He wants us to have an, 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 his righteous life count for ours. It's great. God doesn't see me. God doesn't see you. God sees Jesus. It's awesome. We need to give praise to God for that, that he sees Jesus. His resurrected life now, his life lived perfectly. Yes, his life had a purpose. Why? It was for you and I. That's great. It allows, it allows us to live an attitude of gratitude. God, you did it for me. If I mess up, it's okay. I don't have to go around with, burden, with this huge burden of guilt because I've got the grace of God in my life. That's what grace is. God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. Good men and good women don't go to heaven. I'll say that again. Good men and good women don't go to heaven. Maybe you're, you're, something wells up inside and you approach it. Wait a minute, what do you mean good men and good women don't go to heaven? Only men and women who have placed their faith and Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, will enter heaven. I implore you to do not take that risk. 
of deathbed salvation. I've stood before hospital beds and I've faced men who at the end of their lives wanted nothing to do with Jesus. I'm pleading with you, sir. Please understand. You may have moments to live. Would you please accept Christ into your life? Would you please do it? For heaven's sake. And he was so bitter. I don't, he had experienced some kind of pain in his life and maybe the church had hurt him. A lot of people the church has hurt. And we're going to give an account for that. But I implore you to understand that heaven's waiting. Don't wait before it's too late. As I walked out of the room, before I even got to my car, he'd passed away. I don't know between that time if he had accepted Christ. When I preach a funeral and I don't know the person's salvation, I preach the gospel either way. I let the, the audience know that this is the gospel. You need to know for certain where you're going. Be 100% sure that you know, that you know, that you know that you're going to heaven. And it's not just a, a, a belief that you have, an intellectual assent. It says in the book of James, that won't, that won't, it won't cut it. Put your trust in Jesus while there's still time. Let's pray.